It's January 30th, 1698. A few miles out to sea from Port Cochin, near the southern tip of India. Captain William Kidd stands on the bow of his ship, the Adventure Galley, his one open eye fixed upon the horizon. Scanning the clean blue waters through a spyglass, Kidd senses that something significant is finally about to happen. He cannot explain why, even to himself, but all day he has been certain that his fortunes are ready to shift. Gathered around him are a select group of men who Kidd still considers loyal. They are conspicuously small in number. Currently, Kidd is not popular with his crew. As far as many of them are concerned, the captain is a murderer. Exactly three months earlier, in full view of them all, Kidd killed the ship's chief gunner, William Moore, with an iron-bound bucket. Few men on board are prepared to believe the captain's claim that it was manslaughter. What's worse, he has failed to make the crew as rich as he promised when they first signed up, two years before. Successful raids on foreign vessels have been sporadic and hard-won, and even then, the plunder has been disappointing. Sailing beside the adventure galley is a second boat, also under Kid's command. She has recently been renamed the November, after the month in which his crew captured her. The November was originally a Dutch-owned trading vessel called the Ruparel, and she was loaded with cloth, sugar, and other valuable cargo. When Kid's crew overcame her, it was the first major victory they had enjoyed in a while. And for a brief period, it helped to cool the growing dissent among the men. But that was two months ago. Now, Kid is under renewed pressure to find another rich ship for his men to raid. Suddenly, through the magnifying glass, he spies the perfect victim. What looks encouragingly like a large trading vessel has just appeared on the horizon. And it seems to be sailing without any escort. Kid adjusts the telescope to better identify the ship's flag. He grins like a wolf when he sees their flying French colors. This is precisely what he's been anticipating. Immediately, he summons the entire crew onto the deck and shows them their prey. He then commands that both of his ships hoist the colors. Not black flags emblazoned with grinning skulls, but the royal blue and gold of the Bourbons, the flag of France. They're going to employ a sly tactic, one they have already successfully used to take the Ruparel. Both the Adventure Galley and the November head for this new target. French flags billowing boldly from their masts. Meanwhile, 
kid calls for one of the few Frenchmen that make up his crew. Monsieur Leroy steps forward and is given instructions. As before, kid commands, you be the ship's captain. The Frenchman nods as the adventure galley draws closer to the target ship, ready to deceive and strike. I'm Tom Morton, and welcome to Real Pirates, the show that dives deep into the true story behind the world's most notorious buccaneers. Join us as we set sail under the black flag, alongside such legendary figures as Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. We'll reveal how these marauding mariners rose to dominate the seven seas, the terror tactics they employed to overpower their prey, and what life was really like aboard their ships. Their reputations have swollen to legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Who were they? Terrorists or freedom fighters? Cold-blooded killers or heroic underdogs? As it turns out, the truth is far stranger than fiction. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray strandum wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Throughout his career, Captain Kidd has garnered a reputation for being one of Britain's most successful privateers. His daring raids on French ships and colonies have made a fortune for his country during what comes to be known as the Nine-Year War. Despite this, there are many among the Admiralty and the East India Company who have found Kidd's actions to be reckless and arrogant. However, he has always managed to toe the delicate line between privateering and piracy. And as a result, he has been tolerated by the British authorities. 
until now. It's still January 30th, 1698. Captain Kidd's two ships have positioned themselves on either side of the unescorted trading vessel, their cannons ready to fire. Kidd sees that the ship is called the Kida Merchant. From the lines of the hull and the shape of the rigging, he wonders if she really is French. To his experienced eye, she looks more like a Turkish dhow. And if so, it will be laden with exotic, expensive cargo. But desperate as his men are to unleash the attack, Kidd hesitates. He first wants to be sure of exactly who it is he's robbing. Locked inside a desk in his cabin, Kidd has a letter of Mark signed by the Dutch-born King of England, William III. This grants him full authority to attack French vessels during this period of war. But should it transpire that the Kida merchant is in fact English or Dutch-owned, then Kidd would definitely be crossing the line into piracy. However, Kidd has a cunning plan. The same plan that fooled the Ruparel, which had also been flying French flags. By also pretending to be French, their ship was able to approach the Ruparel and request to see the ship's official letters of marque. Once the captain of the Ruparel had declared that it was officially a French ship, Kidd then revealed his ship's true nationality and launched an attack. He intends to perform a similar ruse now. As the adventure galley gets close enough to communicate with the Kida merchant, Monsieur Leroy calls over. In his thick French accent, Leroy declares that he is the captain. He then demands to know if they are traveling with the appropriate documentation. Over on the Kida merchant, a man can be heard identifying himself as its captain. He then confirms that the ship is indeed traveling with French letters of marque. This is all the information Kid needs. Placing two fingers in his mouth, he emits a loud whistle, a signal to attack. From the decks of both the Adventure Galley and the November, his sword-wielding and musketed crew storm onto the ship in between. Both ships fire cannonballs into the side of the Kida merchant, just enough to provide an effective demonstration of their power. And with savage enthusiasm, Kid's men storm the ship and set about beating the rival crew into submission. His blood pumping from the thrill of the hunt, Kid clambers onto the deck of the besieged ship. He raises his sword and charges through the chaos towards the man who declared himself to be the captain. The shocked captain immediately surrenders and agrees to hand over the letters of Mark, which will legitimize this raid. Unfortunately, now the kid can better hear the captain's accent, he realizes he has a serious problem. It turns out his bluff has backfired. His ships aren't the only ones sailing under false flags. Dr. James Rankin is a historian and an authority on pirates. So Kidd is sailing with French flags because he wants to, one, get close enough to some of these vessels to give chase, 
He wants to lure out potentially French vessels by putting them at ease, by pretending to be French. Then when he gets close enough, he can run up his English colors and attack them as a privateer. This was a pretty common tactic known as coloring, right? Where you would fly the colors of one nation, switch over and spring the trap when someone came too close. The problem was merchants also did this, right? If they saw a ship on the horizon flying French colors, they might put French colors up because they were worried that they were being, that a French warship or privateer was close. They're like, well, we don't want them to attack us. We'll put up our French colors, right? Secretly, we're not French, but we keep the French colors for whatever we're sailing and we come close to a French privateer so that they'll leave us alone. So when Kid encounters this ship, they're flying French colors, he's flying French colors. Both of them are pretending to be French when in fact they are not French. The captain of the vessel is English. On learning the truth, Kid turns apoplectic with rage. He curses the captain of the Kida merchant, who has just introduced himself as John Wright. Kid knows that if the captain is English, then it could be legally argued that this is an English ship. Brandishing his sword, he accuses Wright, somewhat hypocritically, of misrepresentation. Around him, Kid's crew wonder if he will strike Wright dead. After all, they witnessed him murder William Moore in a similar temper. By now, the battle is over. The 400-ton Kida merchant has been successfully taken, and most of its crew have laid down their weapons to surrender. Kid's men triumphantly tear through the ship, searching for the spoils of war. But Kid cannot allow himself to celebrate just yet. He glares at Captain Wright and demands to be told what the official nationality of this vessel is. The Englishman, Wright, explains that while they do have French authorization, the ship itself is not French. The Kida merchant is in fact Armenian-built, but it has been hired by India and is laden with Indian goods to be sold abroad. Therefore, this ship and its cargo essentially belong to the Mughal Emperor. Kid groans. He knows that raiding a Mughal ship is politically ruinous. Dr. Rebecca Simon is a historian and author of Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kid, and How He Changed Piracy Forever. Just a couple of years before Kid arrived in the Red Sea, a British pirate named Henry Avery had captured some Mughal ships, including the Ganji Sawai, which belonged to the Mughal Emperor. This had caused a huge amount of difficulty, to put it lightly, between the East India Company and the Mughal Emperor. And the Mughal Emperor had pretty much threatened to stop all trade with the East India Company because of this. Now, England was barely able to kind of save the reputation and relationships with the Mughal Emperor once they did make an effort going after Henry Avery. But now capturing Mughal ships yet again from another Englishman, this could absolutely destroy any remaining possible cordial relationship between the East India Company and the Mughal Emperor permanently. To his dismay, Kidd realizes that he has made a huge mistake in attacking the Kida merchant. Not only is this a Mughal ship, but it has an English captain. He knows that his enemies in the Admiralty will consider this a clear act of piracy. Now, the thing is, this Englishman was sailing under French protection. He had French passes, 
So in a way, one could argue that Kidd was not violating his letter of mark because he was sent to go after French ships. But the big problem is, is that because the ship technically was not from France and because it was technically not captained by the French, this is going to put Kidd into a lot of hot water. Although he loathes to do it, Kidd orders his crew to stop looting the Kida merchant instantly. We must return the ship to its rightful captain, he tells them. The crew are outraged by the command. For months, they have been tolerating their unpopular captain precisely because he has promised them such a haul. And as predicted, the ship contains a veritable bounty of Indian merchandise. Silks, satins, muslins, opium, sugar, iron, silver, and gold. They estimate that the complete cargo must be worth up to 400,000 rupees, a fortune from which they expect to be handsomely paid. But now Kid is telling them they must give back what they have fought so hard to win. One man speaks for them all. We will not, he tells Kid. This is a French ship. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kid begins to explain that although the Kida merchant does contain French letters of mark, its legal status is complicated. But his explanations about the English captain are drowned out by angry protests. It seems the subtleties of international maritime law don't hold much water with a crew of desperate pirates. Captain be damned, the man roars. The rest of the crew cheer in support. Unless he relents, Kid's crew are moments away from staging a mutiny. And so, despite fearing that the decision will come back to haunt him, Captain Kidd allows his crew to seize the ship. He just hopes they can buy their way out of any trouble that comes along. After all, they wouldn't be the first to do so. He was aware of this tension on board. Having some plunder could at the very least diffuse some of that. It also opened up the potential to bring home incredible profits that he could use to perhaps diffuse some of the political and legal trouble that he knew he was already in, right? There's a lot to be said, and Thomas Chu could speak to this directly, a lot to be said for coming home with a rich cargo that you could sell and maybe in the process wash away some of those unfortunate associations with piracy, with gold. One by one, the men and kids' crew take it in turn to shuffle into the captain's cabin on the Kida Merchant. Kid sits behind John Wright's former desk as each removes their hat. 
they do not do so out of deference to him. They are using their hats as pouches for the money he hands them. As well as 200 rupees, each man receives written rights to sell some of the goods that have been captured. Kid can feel the onboard tensions ease as he pays each one. Very soon, they are raucously gambling with their new coins. But although he has regained control of his crew, Kid cannot rejoice. He knows that news of this raid will soon reach England, and that the High Court of the Admiralty probably won't be as happy about his actions as his crew are. The High Court of Admiralty in England is not happy about Kid's actions, to say the least. For one thing, they've always had difficulties with him, having always towed the line between pirate and privateer, kind of always sort of taking the rules for his own. In fact, there were some documents where he was even described as quote-unquote annoying, so he has long been a thorn in their side. And now the fact that he's gone in and he's gone against his privateering commission, he's violated his letter of mark, going in, robbing an Armenian ship, when they're already doing their best to try to keep smooth relationships with the Mughals and the Mughal emperor, the Admiralty is furious to say the least. And because they know that now they're going to have to put in all this time and all this money and resources to really make a show of going after a kid. Because what happens? The Mughal emperor immediately says, you already let one pirate get away. That was Henry Avery. If this happens again, we are cutting off trade no matter what, and we will declare it to practically be an act of war. So now the High Court of Admiralty has no choice. They have to pour in all their money and resources to start yet again another global manhunt going after Captain William Kidd. It's May 1698 in the colonial headquarters of the East India Company in Surat. Each day, senior officials gather in the shady gardens to discuss company business. As they converse, they drink gin or the local teas. Sometimes they play cribbage in teams of two. Today, they discuss Captain Kidd and the political catastrophe he caused when he stole the Kida merchant from the Mughal emperor. Even before Kidd's transgressions, the company has been beset with difficulties due to the war with France. Powerful business rivals have begun to emerge at home and in Asia, and so this could not be a worse time to fall out with India. Determined to restore order to the Indian Ocean, these men agree with the Admiralty that Kidd must be captured, placed on trial, and executed. Sweating profusely, one official demands to know where Kidd came from in the first place. Who legitimized this upstart? Who financed his outrageous voyage? And who can be held responsible for the chaos Kidd has caused? Across from him, a fellow cribbage player answers all three questions as he lays a card. Lord Bellamont, he says, revealing his King of Diamonds. Richard Coote, the first Earl of Bellamont, is the governor of New York, Massachusetts Bay, and New Hampshire. It is widely known that Bellamont befriended Kidd in New York. He set him off on his destructive privateering mission from which he has presumably accumulated substantial wealth. The company men murmur their disapproval. Bellamont's predecessor, Benjamin Fletcher, was also a corrupt governor who turned a blind eye to piracy while profiting from it. 
it appears obvious to everyone that pressure must be placed on Lord Bellamont. He must set right what has gone wrong and help deliver Captain Kidd to the authorities. Until very recently, Lord Bellamont had the backing of many high-ranking officials in London. But that was when the Whig government was in power. Unfortunately for Bellamont, a new government has just been installed. Unfortunately, in the time that Kidd is at sea, there is a sea change in politics back in London. And in particular, the Whigs who had sort of been fairly closely aligned with Bellamont and, you know, whose political patronage Bellamont relied on and by extension Kidd relied on, lost control of Parliament. And the Tories are much more, you know, concerned with promoting the interests of the East India Company. Many of them have considerable interests, financially speaking, in the East India Company to boot. So the Tories are much more hostile to Kidd and Belmont has to figure out how to operate in a very different political environment. When Lord Bellamont realized that Kidd was now being hunted as a pirate, he knew he had to distance himself immediately. And this could have been a difficult decision. Bellamont had been a longtime friend of Kidd and his wife, but the reality is he also had his own career to protect. Bellamont is governor of both New York and Massachusetts, which are very powerful colonies in North America. And if he is known as being associated or defending a wanted pirate, then this could be the end of his own career. So what he decides to do is he betrays Kidd to save his own political career. Ten miles from the northeastern coast of Madagascar is the narrow island of St. Marie. It is uncomfortably hot and the rainfall can be sudden and heavy. The houses are ramshackle, and the island is poorly defended with just a few cannons. However, in recent years, the island has become a popular settlement for pirates. For months, William Kidd has been lying low on this stretch of land as the Kidder Merchant, now renamed the Adventure Prize, rests in the harbor. He is now down to two ships, having sunk the November in the sea after stripping her of anything valuable. Kidd spends much of his time drunk on a rum-based drink known as Bumbo. He socializes with other pirates, exactly the men he was specifically commissioned to hunt down two years earlier when he left New York. But by now, Kidd knows that he too is one of the hunted. Many of his men have since disappeared with other pirate crews, wary of being associated with the most wanted man on the Indian Ocean. Between them, they have taken a big chunk of what was plundered from the Kida merchant. Kid needs to make his next move, and fast. It will not be long before somebody tells the East India Company where he is hiding. He considers traveling to the Caribbean, despite the risk of running into a Royal Navy ship. Perhaps there he can sell one of his vessels for a decent sum, and then he can use the money to sail back to New York and try to re-enter society. He develops a plan. He will write to his old friend Lord Bellamont. He will claim that he has buried treasure somewhere, 
treasure that he plundered from the Kida merchant, and he will promise to share with Bellamont the treasure's location in return for protection. Confident in this tactic, Kidd departs St. Marie with a reduced crew of just 20 men at the end of the year. All his hopes rest now with Lord Bellamont. Kidd has written him letters saying, I need some form of protection. At this point, Kidd is in the West Indies, offloading most of his goods and getting another ship so he could sail back to New York. And he writes letters to Lord Bellamont saying, you know, basically, I need help. In his frantic letter to Lord Bellamont, Kidd claims that his crew forced him to take both the Ruparel and the Kida merchant against his will. He asserts that had he defied them, he would have been killed. He then adds that over a hundred men have since deserted him while in Madagascar, so that the villainous element no longer has control. Kidd even provides Bellamont with a return address in New York through which to reply. Pen in hand, Bellamont composes his offer of protection. I make no manner of doubt but to obtain the king's pardon for you. I assure you on my word and honor. Bellamont seals his letter and hands it to an underling to deliver. As soon as his letter is sent, Bellamont wastes no time in alerting the authorities. Both the East India Company and the Admiralty in England are informed that he has baited the trap. He assures them that he alone will be the one to deliver them their fugitive. If Lord Bellamont feels any guilt at his plans to betray his former friend, he does not express it. In truth, he relishes the opportunity to restore his tarnished reputation via this duplicitous maneuver. He is a seasoned political operator. He's very, very aware that things are changing in London and he does not want to be on the wrong side of the new government. And I mean, the flip side of this is he also realizes that Kidd, having effectively raised tensions to boiling point with the Mughal Empire, is for him potentially a prize. If he can land Kidd and deliver him to the Tories, I mean, what better way to, you know, cultivate a bit of goodwill in London than to deliver someone who is at that point has become one of the most wanted fugitives in the world. <laughs> so for Bellamont, right, all of the things that had initially encouraged him to align with Kidd have evaporated. And at the same time, very intense pressure has mounted on him to turn against Kidd and to effectively do everything in his power to make sure that Kidd is captured, shipped back to London and executed. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit, or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker. 
the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It's July 6th, 1699, in Boston, Massachusetts. In the leafy garden of a trusted friend, William Kidd is reunited with his family after two years abroad. He chases his two young daughters across the lawn, playing cat and mice with them. Sarah Kidd watches her husband as he laughs like an overgrown child, grabs at his youngest daughter, and then dangles her upside down by her feet. The children have been made giddy with excitement by their father's return, but Sarah feels only anxiety and resentment. Over the past year, she has felt New York's high society turn cold to her. Ever since her husband gained the reputation as a pirate, she's been ostracized by the wealthy women she once considered friends. Few of them now will be seen at public functions with her. They don't even have the grace to reply to her correspondence. Sarah is aware that last week, her husband sent a gold bar to Lady Bellamont in an extravagant show of friendship. A day later, Lady Bellamont returned the gift. Despite this, William seems to be under the impression that the Bellamonts are still their allies. Sarah isn't so sure. Beside her on the garden table is William's defense account. On paper, he has documented everything that occurred while at sea, taking care to present himself as a patriotic privateer and not a pirate. In his narrative, William has listed all the plunder he took from the Kedo merchant and other ships. Sarah is astonished by the incredible riches described, including 40-pound bags of gold. However, she notices he has omitted to mention where much of this treasure currently is. This afternoon, William is appointed to appear before a council at Bellamont's headquarters in the city. He has told Sarah that he will read the document to them. And afterwards, he's certain he will be acquitted of piracy. By now, the game has switched. The children are chasing their father. Sarah calls over and indicates the time. He will be late for the council meeting if he doesn't leave now. Wearing the immaculate tailored suit of a respectable gentleman and a brand new white wig, Kidd travels to his appointment by coach. Again, he reads his written account. He's certain that the omission of the gold's whereabouts is enough to prevent a greedy old rascal like Bellamont from turning him in just yet. Like so many accused of piracy before him, the promise of a share in Eastern riches is Kid's trump card. Choosing when to play it is the key. At exactly 5 p.m., Kid alights from his carriage outside Bellamont's building and heads up the outer steps towards the main entrance. But before he even reaches the doors, a man calls his name. 
Kid turns to see a uniformed constable striding toward him from the left of the building. Then, from the right, another constable appears. Instantly, Kid realizes that he is about to be arrested. He darts away from them and into the building. He slams his way through the entrance and immediately starts shouting, I demand to be seen by Lord Bellamont. The constables chase him through the doors in an attempt to seize him. Kid turns to resist. He throws a punch, hitting one constable hard in the face, but the other grabs him and throws him down to the floor. More constables arrive to subdue the powerful Scotsman. Soon, they have Kid overpowered. They drag him out through the doors again, while his new white wig lies trampled on the polished floor behind him. Outside, a carriage waits to transport him to prison. Kid curses. There can be no doubt that he has just walked into a trap. Before he is bundled into the prison van, Kid turns to look up at the building he tried to enter. He again calls out for Lord Bellamont, this time calling him a traitor. The last thing he sees before being carted away is the impassive face of his former friend looking down at him from a high window. Immediately after Kidd is arrested, he's taken to Stone Prison in Boston and he is thrown into solitary confinement where he's going to stay for almost two years. This is not a fun situation to say the least. Stone Prison is very formidable. His cells are going to be underground. It's going to be constantly damp. It's going to be constantly wet and freezing cold because of the weather. So this is the miserable place where Kidd is going to languish for the next two years. For Kidd, it seems like his situation cannot get any more dire. He's been betrayed by his friends, locked inside a veritable dungeon, and has had his once celebrated name reduced to that of a common criminal. But Captain Kidd isn't ready to give up the fight just yet. He is already putting together a defense for what will go down as the most infamous piracy trial in history. Next week on Real Pirates. Kid is transported from Boston to London's Old Bailey to face trial and the fight of his life. Meanwhile, rumors of Kid's buried treasure spread like wildfire, and his former friend, Lord Bellamont, will stop at nothing to get his hands on it. But is there any truth to the stories? Or is it just a myth created by Kid to spare himself the noose? Find out next week on Real Pirates. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser, executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes, developed by Julian Boreau for Parcast, produced by McAllister Beckson, written by James Benmore, sound supervisor Tom Pink, edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer, sound design by Matias Torres Sole, mixmaster by Cody Reynolds Shaw, music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley. <laughs>